0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: The intention of this show is to empower and inspire you to manifest the life of your dreams, whether it's radiant health, prosperity, loving relationships, or simply peace of mind. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain: A Holistic Approach. And if you don't have a copy of my book, you can get the first six chapters free as a download on my website. Just go to all one word com. put your name and email address in, and I'll send you a link to download a free copy of the excerpt of my book. And you also get access to five of my fast-track healing classes, which you can see online anytime at your leisure once you sign up. So connect with me on my website. And today we're going to be interviewing best-selling author Eldon Taylor about his new book named Gotcha. Now, the book was, I think, originally named We the Sheep School, which I thought was an amazing name, but gosh, is a pretty cool name as well. And uh, once I wrote something about this book um, as as a review, and I, I want to read you uh, a summary of what I wrote so you get an idea of what we're talking about today. And, and this show isn't for everyone. So if you're the kind of person who would rather not know what's going on and live your life in so-called ignorant bliss, some people call it. That's fine and that's okay. I've left you on your way, so you probably do not want to keep listening to the show. But if you're one of the people that um, really are curious and really want to feel empowered know what's going on to to really feel like you're in charge of your life, then you may want to keep listening. So this is what I wrote. So I read uh, Elton Taylor's new book, Gotcha, and um, it was such a mind-opening read. I'm always counseling my patients to become aware what goes in, on, and around their minds and bodies. And Eldon really hits the nail on the head in this book. He uncovers to what corporations and governments will go through in order to keep people numb, dumb, and unhealthy. And if you're willing to go through the gamut of so-called negative emotions like shock, indignation, fear, anger, hopelessness, and come out the other side, you'll actually be empowered by the knowledge found in this book like I was. Every day we are being called to awaken from our unconscious slumber by becoming aware of what is really going on in our world, our government, and our minds. You do not have to be the victim of constant unconscious manipulation. I love the book so much that I invited Ellen to be on our show today um, to share with us all the juicy behind-the-scenes stories that he's, yeah, and all the research that he's done for this book. And uh, he is has so many books uh, that he has many um, best-selling books um, in the field of mind and psychology. Choices and illusions was one of the first books that I read, and I've read pretty much every single book since then and he's an expert in subliminal audio programming. Uh so he knows his stuff. So welcome Eldon to the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Oh it's indeed my pleasure, Karen. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you and your audience. It's indeed uh, a great opportunity and I love what you do. You you uh you make a real contribution. Thank you very much for all your work Karen.
1: Ah mutual admiration, thank you <laughs> That is awesome, Eldon. Now, some people are going to say, okay, so you wrote this big book called Gotcha about all the so-called stuff going on in the world that we're, our minds are not our own, that we're being kind of subliminally hypnotized by media and TV and government. You know, the first thing people are are skeptical, people are going to say is, you know, what proof do you have Who are you and what proof do you have that is actually going on? Because there's been a lot of conspiracy theorists uh, going on, and people say, you know, kind of poo-poo them and say they're just a bunch of radicals. So what kind of proof do you have?
0: You are breaking up in what you said. I'm going to ask you to say that again because I didn't catch what you asked in that last question, Karen.
1: Oh, I'm Sorry. Um, I ask, like, a lot of people who are skeptical and are wondering whether they should read the book or not um, might say, hey, do you you have some proof?
0: You know, the bottom line is, and and let me digress then and and explain why I wrote the book. Um, You know, years and years ago, Years and years, my golly, more than I want to think of right now. Uh, When I was a boy, uh, my neighbor lady came over and was discussing with my mother some things that took place between her and her husband and why they were divorcing. And and I I listened to what she said, and somehow, Karen, I don't know how, I, I just, you know, I knew that she wasn't telling the truth. I was about 8 years old at the time and I just said, you know, I just blurted out cuz I didn't know any better, "Why are you why are you making up stories to my mother?" Now, <clears throat> I got in a good deal of trouble for that. But what what I discovered in my life is somehow when I look back, I've always been interested in why people do and say what they do. And sometimes the stories we tell one another are as transparently false as that which was taking place when I was an eight-year-old boy. Now, it may not surprise too many people that years later, using my graduate degree, I was practicing lie detection, uh, criminalistics. And so I found myself once again listening to people tell me about things that they had done and finding ways to rationalize or to reason or to justify their activity. So let me just share a quick one with you. I can remember a young man who was um, in his very early 20s, 21, 22 years old, very good-looking guy, tall guy, muscular guy, had everything going for him. He was a bright young man, and he just confessed a crime. Uh, that I was investigating, and it, it was a theft from an employer, a lumberyard that uh, he worked at. And uh, you know, when I when I asked him, why would you do that? Why would I mean, you know, this is a few hundred dollars, and this is a felony. I mean, what motivated you to do that? I heard from this young man this sob story about. You know well, my wife is pregnant, and she's having a baby and and our house doesn't have any any room for a nursery so i I took the lumber in order to build a nursery for my child so that my wife could be happy and and uh and after all, you know my employer he, he, he doesn't treat any of us fairly uh we're We're not paid enough, and so we all just kind of grays we all just kind of take this or take that uh it, it doesn't amount to a lot now you know on face value when you listen to a story like that you might be touched you know he's he's taking this lumber in order to build a nursery but the bottom line is every act that each and every one of us do, we find a way to justify. We find a way to rationalize, not always in front, but at least in 2020 hindsight. You know, I, I worked in a prison system uh, for a while, did some volunteer work, and we ran some double-blind studies out there. And and I was always hearing these stories, you know, all oh, but for the grace of God, there go you, you know. I mean, I didn't have any of the breaks you had. Um, and and sometimes the stories would be exaggerated. You know, my daddy was an alcoholic, my mommy was a prostitute kind of thing. Um, but what it all came down to was these people are making decisions and they're making choices and they're explaining these decisions and these choices on the basis of their rationalizations. And I kept trying to figure out why human beings behaved in the way they did. You know, Dan Ariely ran a very interesting study, and I, and I cite a lot of this in, in the book Gotcha, where he brought people together, strangers, and Professor Ariely uh, uh, at Princeton um uh, was looking at how how long does it take us to lie and how many lies do we tell, and, and it is discovered that in a very brief period, two strangers coming together three to five minutes and they begin lying to one another. It, it wow. initially, you know, it's initially exaggeration of one kind or another, but but it is nevertheless a prefabrication. Well, again, I thought, you know, why would people do that? I mean, what motivates us to puff, if you will? What motivates us to to become inauthentic? And then I had this aha moment. You know, I'm looking in the wrong place. I've been looking at human psychology as though we develop in our psychology a given way. Wait a minute. Let's back up for a minute. Where does this influence come from? And that's when I launched my research into the impact our society, our culture, our governments, uh, the media, etc., have on all of us. And what I learned disturbed me a great deal because what I've learned is that we're essentially trained – puppet information and behavior and and it begins at a very early age it be It begins when we're children and of course we're imprinted by our culture, just like ducklings raised with chickens and and we behave accordingly. we act out that role which is acceptable in our culture so the influence that our parents have been imprinted by in e- essentially is our initial imprint and then we're moved into an education system, a compulsory education system, that by its charter was copied from the Prussian 1812 three-tier system uh, designed to socialize, not to educate. And so whether we're looking at the founders back to the days of Dewey and Thorndike or we're looking contemporarily to, to, uh, to the the statements of men like noam chomsky uh, professor emeritus what we see is a institution designed to socialize us now this Mm. three tiers works this way we have the elite tier now most people aren't aware of this but in the last seven elections we've had 14 potential candidates and 12 of them came from ivy league schools uh... The way this tier system works is, you know, the public education that's mandatory that most of us all attend, that's simply designed not to teach us to think, but to teach us how to behave, how to socialize properly, how to fit in. You know, the next level, that's where we get our doctors and our lawyers and the aides to the so-called elite, which come from the, the third tier, the highest tier. Well, when you realize that we're being socialized in our educational systems, then you stop and you look at some of the behavior that goes on in the schools. And and you see that, well, you know, you take little Johnny – it's his first day, he's going to kindergarten, and his parents, you've gone out and you bought him a, an eraser and his pencils, <laughs> maybe a pencil box, and, you know, he's all excited. And, 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 you know, Johnny or Joni, he, she, and they go to school, and the first thing the teacher does is have them put all their pencils and erasers in one box. Now, we're just going to share, so just put all your pencils and your erasers in one box, and then we'll have... Plenty for everyone here. What is that message? When you, you know, I thought about calling this book "Nudges" as opposed to "Gotcha," and the reason for that, Karen, is this: as I expose in the book, there's documents going back to 1950, well, to the 50s, I should say, and these documents look at how we can weaken this. This strong sense of of uh, self reliance that this country knew in those days, coming out of the Second World War, um, a new emerged superpower, uh, strong ind- rugged individualism, uh, overcome the Great Depression, uh, people saving money to buy houses, and and um, and and when you look at the document, you see that there were several things that that were laid out they were designed to happen just as a nudge here and a nudge there they were the kinds of things well let me give you a couple examples we need to break down the nuclear family see if we can if we can erode the nuclear family and we can spread families out we we break up this this strong sense of family this this sense of protecting one another in this sense of strong community. And and you see that the way they were going to do that was they are going to suggest things like, you know, if parents aren't getting along, divorce is a thing for them to do because, after all, if they stay together, the children suffer. Now, I'm sure you can remember the pop psychology of the 60s that, that expressed exactly that, 60s and 70s. Uh, and we saw this increase in divorce and this breakup of the nuclear family. We we also see when we look at these documents that it's important to put people in debt. Let's get them in debt. Now, mm. you know, listen – Back then, there was, you know, you might have a line of credit at your grocer or your hardware store if you were a farmer or something. Um, You might even have a a mortgage on your farm, but debt as we know it today didn't exist. You didn't have revolving credit. You you know, if you bought anything initially, you had to have 10% down, but then that weakened – uh, you know, mid 60s, and, and credit became freely available, and people became what? They became trained consumers, just as it had been planned. All this happens a nudge at a time. Another nudge was we need to change the morality. We need to break down this morality. We, you know, if we can break down the morality, we can move people away from these hard views, these religious perspectives that unite a community. Again, this is all about division and so how are we going to do that? Well, we can increase the amount of sex and the kind of sex. And nudge by nudge we see that until today you can watch a primetime TV uh, soap and, you know, here, here you've got, you know, gay people kissing on the screen and you've got, uh, you know, uh, a lot of extra sexuality. now. And I'm not taking a position on this. Please understand. I am only saying that the difference between the morality of the 50s and and the morality that sets today has been nudged along a little bit at a time just a little bit at a time and this little bit at a time has changed the nature and fabric of our society it has indeed changed how we think about things it has changed well and one of the one of the ways this is done overtly is to just simply change the definitions if you can control the definition, Karen, you can control the argument. And I know you know that. So let's just jump forward to a current issue today. One hot issue that is going to be a presidential election issue is what are we doing about aliens? Well, you know, we have those people out there talking about illegal aliens. We even have a fellow who calls them criminals. Well, now, wait a minute. An illegal alien. To be an illegal alien, you had to commit a crime. It was a crime to enter the country illegally. So, in a sense, they are criminals. Well, Mm -hmm. but now, wait a minute. The other side of this coin says, look, we've got to change this argument. We have to move this away. I mean, how can a human being be illegal? I mean, there's no such thing as illegal humans, are there? I mean, come on. So... We'll call them undocumented. Now, look at what happens when you change illegal to undocumented. The argument completely changes. And these are very deliberate nudges that they're, they're orchestrated. Today, they're orchestrated by some of the best social psychologists on the planet. Indeed, Barack Obama's um, last election, he put together what everybody calls in behavioral science the elite team of social psychologists, and they scripted every aspect of his campaign, it, it, his responses and debates, the, what his people would say when canvassing in person or on the telephone, uh, the kinds of sound bites that would go out to the media, what he would respond to, what he wouldn't respond to. Uh, it was completely scripted. And you know many of them were rewarded with positions in in government as a result of that uh, our one of these social psychologists indeed has stepped out and said, "You know we've learned that you can engineer uh perception on the internet. We can, for all intent and purposes uh, manipulate the search engines in such a way it manipulates the the impression the American public has, and therefore the way they vote. Uh, It it becomes very, very sophisticated. But, you know, the sophisticated part, that part today, where we use functional magnetic resonance imaging to watch the brain live time, and we say, aha, look, we show the Surgeon General's warning for uh, cigarettes, and, and it causes a person that smokes to want to smoke more. So, hey, look, we can, the manufacturer can bold that on two sides of the pack instead of small print because it drives people to smoke more. Or we use, <laughs> that's true. See, we discover these things using fMRI, but back then, back in the 50s, looking at Everything that could be done, and how you could control people, there were some really gross things, you know, committed by our government. Our government is just as guilty about doing this research as anybody in the marketing world, you know. So in 1950, one of the largest human experiments in history was conducted on unsuspecting residents of San Francisco. You know, what would happen? Could we use the fog in San Francisco uh, to carry a biological weapon, you know, like in germ warfare, into places, uh, you know, off the Golden Gate Bridge and into San Francisco? Well, the fact of the matter is they did. Not only did they do that, and the reason I bring this up is because of this. First of all, that's got to be one of the largest offenses of the Nuremberg Code since its inception, because the code stipulates that voluntary, informed consent is required for research mm-hmm. participants, and, and no one volunteered, and no one you know even knew about it at the time. This, this became something that was discovered years later, like a lot of research is of this kind. But there was a death of a fellow. His name was Ed, Edward Nevin. And research today says yes. I mean, we do understand that that the uh, the organisms that they use uh, to, to simulate this uh, can cause death in individuals with a certain you know uh, that that can be prone to it. That's I guess the best way for me to say it. Like susceptible, well, right? Yeah, susceptible. So in September of 1950, the Navy used giant hoses to spray a fog of two kinds of bacteria. And one of these bacterias caused Edward Nevins' death. Nevins' family discovered and they sued. And here's the bottom line. The court decided that the government had the right to do that and mm-hmm. that they could not be held accountable for a lawsuit for negligence or wrongful death because they were justified in conducting those tests without the subject's knowledge. Now, when you understand that, and then you look at some of the clandestine research that's gone on, um, you know, there was a real Manchurian candidate. Uh, Most people aren't aware of that. They think it was just a movie, but indeed there was such a study that study um, has now been uh, declassified or large parts of it. It's online. In fact, you know, I, I cite all of this. Everything that I tell you about in the book Gotcha, I give you the hard evidence for. Go right to the CIA I that, or right, right to book. the Congress hearings. You know, I, I didn't want to go out there with some kind of tinfoil hat and a lot of conjecture. All I wanted to do was lay out the facts. And the storyline is this. You have been manipulated little by little in a very overt way. Many agencies have sought to determine how the subconscious is plumbed and just exactly what can they do with it. Listen, in Project Climax, Sidney Gottlieb used prostitutes and LSD to see if he couldn't generate... Um, memory loss and reshape values, and uh, you know perhaps even create you know what uh, Project Bluebird went on to do, and that's disposable assassins. Uh, this this is not make believe. This this is what our government actually has been about. I mean, listen, one study just kind of you know the classic behaviorism of Watson. Uh, one of his studies took a boy, a young boy, 11-month-old boy, a boy the, the study is called the Little Albert study, took an 11-month-old boy and wanted to see how you could condition fear. And so they presented this boy with a white mouse. And, uh, you know, the boy wasn't at all alarmed about it. So then they took the mouse away. They brought the mouse back. But this time they had loud sounds clanging and banging And it startled a boy, and the boy began to cry. So they bring the mouse back and bring back the noises, and the boy cries, and, and they condition a fear. And then they wanted to know if they could transfer this fear. Would it, you know, what would be involved in transferring it maybe to a cat or to a dog? And so... Systematically, they watched how they could transfer it, and sure enough, they brought in the dog, and the boy would cry. Well, what kind of sick mind sits out with an eleven-month-old boy to instill and condition fear? Now, okay, that that study took place. You know, some people would say, well, that that was back in the sixties and early seventies that they were doing this kind. Certainly, they don't do that anymore. Well, you know, you're wrong. You remember David Koresh? The Soviets were involved in advising what we were doing, Janet Reno and our Justice Mm -hmm. Department, with a David Koresh compound. Well, they had these speakers running around the facility on uh, mobile rigs playing these loud sounds, discordant music with animal Mm -hmm. distress calls in it. Subliminal animal distress calls. Now, the Soviet advisor said, I don't think you should do this. It's going to heighten tensions, and we don't know what's going to happen when that fear level reaches, you know, chronic proportion. And, of course, we all know in 2020 hindsight what happened at the compound. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we get ourselves into a world where today we have there's a certain political correctness and And when I listen to this political correctness, I'm really reminded of orwell's nineteen eighty four and Newspeak you know uh we We can't say some things anymore because if we say these things, it's just simply not politically correct and when you look at the history of what isn't politically correct, you find that we're really as with illegal versus undocumented. Changing the definitions, which, of course, changes how we see things. And, you know, when you want to be spiritually awake, and that's, in my view, my task in this lifetime, you, to be spiritually awake, must be aware of every way that you are puppeted. And, you know, you must become authentic. Well, what is authentic about being like every Nabisco cracker coming out of the factory? All of us dress alike. All of us drive similar cars. All of us behave similarly. All of us have the same kinds. In fact, every all of us just, we talk about the same kinds of things. And we get our sound bites and then share them at the water fountain. I mean, yeah. think of this. Karen, I know that you are really uh You pay close attention to this kind of thing, and that's one of the things I really admire about you and your willingness to be a bit of a maverick and get out there in front of folks and and challenge the system and uh and 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 lead with innovative ways but think about this: most people aren't like you they uh well, let me give you an example um because of what I do, I happen to be watching two news programs um, a couple of years ago. Um, one a conservative station, the other a liberal station, and they were running a poll. Now, it happened that both stations were running the same poll that morning. Huh. On one station, the liberal station, the poll went this way. Should poor taxpayers be forced to pay for rich kids to go to private school? On the conservative station, the poll went this way. Should poor taxpayers be forced to work two jobs to put their children through private schools since public schools are failing so miserably? Right. Now, here, here's the deal. Now, because of the way they're framed, if I'm liberal, of course not. I No, no taxpayers should pay for rich kids to go to public schools. And if I happen to be conservative, of course not. Taxpayers shouldn't work two jobs. You see, the framing predisposes how I decide. But the real danger in this is we want to hear what we want to hear. So if, you know, if I happen to be liberal, there's no way in the world I listen to Fox. And (laughs) if I happen to be conservative, there's no way in the world I listen to MSNBC. So Mm. I'm just going to... I'm going to imbibe in the sound bites that make me feel good. They're consistent with what I believe. What I'm not going to do is what you do. I'm not going to Google it. I'm not going to go to the library. I'm not going to find out. Where do school vouchers come from? I mean, where does that money come from? How is a school voucher used? Who takes advantage of it? Where are they used in the world? What's the impact on public education? Bah, blah 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 bah. I'm not going to make an informed decision because I've already been told how to think. Now, let's just fast backward, you know, rewind. You remember when you went to school? You weren't taught to think. You weren't taught to search for answers and alternatives. You were taught what to know. You were taught how to know it. And if you could rote core memorize and regurgitate on an examination, you were rewarded. Right, and if you failed right. to do so, well the rewards weren't so kind. And indeed you could be punished for your mm-hmm. failure to do so ostracized, embarrassed, humiliated, and in many other ways, conditioned, just like little Albert, conditioned to spew back in the way you were taught the information that's been given you. One of the things that I I like to do in lectures, and uh, I have about a 10-minute segment of this that I deliver so I can actually even step out of the room and take a break
1: but
0: I explained to people how these sound bites go out across the airways. There are some sound bites that everyone wants you to when I say everyone, mm-hmm. both parties, the elite, however I think of that as money, want you to hear. And so in this ten minute segment from coast to coast, from San Francisco to uh to um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, you hear exactly the same sound bites coming across every single news station. And you can see the actors. We think of them as, as newsmen, news people, but you'll see the news person acting the the soundbite as though it was their original thought. And you'll hear it over and over and over and over, station to station to station. We we have an orchestrated media, and and that media at times delivers exactly the same message. So, of course, we all walk away understanding that message because, well, we don't think about it. We just memorize it. That's how we've been taught to learn. That's a very limited level of understanding. It it leads me to a question that's one of my favorites and that's just what was your last original thought? You know? <laughs> uh, well,
1: I, it reminds me of that time where, you know, that all the media was like vitamins not helpful or vitamins might do harm or some sort of Yeah. you know thing uh that was and of course everyone's spewing oh what was it now? I can't remember with some nutrient that's oh magnesium, that's right. So magnesium uh magnesium might be harmful for people with heart attacks, which is usually the opposite of, you know, uh of of, of what I've understood and
0: the truth from my
1: various readings and so I was like, "Well, that's interesting," because I was mentioning it to my aunt, and she said, "Oh, didn't you see the, you know, the news on the Globe and Mail in Toronto about the, the, you know, the the risks of magnesium?" I thought, "Wow, magnesium is deficient in most people in North America, and it's important for 325 plus enzymatic reactions in the body, and it's crucial." And they're saying, "Watch out for magnesium." I'm like, Wow, that's really something' and yeah, she showed me the article, and it was like, Whoa, I mean, they're going to report on that, but not necessary. I don't know if you remember you know when when uh President um Obama was going to make a speech on news about the Ebola crisis yeah so i yeah, so I was at in oklahoma and and we were taking care of uh my husband's dying father, and you know so a lot of the family were there, and when the speech was coming, they all ran to the living room. Okay, and at the same time, I decided I was not, I wasn't interested, so I sat there with my laptop just opening email, and the email I got was from one of these consumer watchdog groups and said, uh, it's a sad day today because Dow Chemical got the approval for using a derivative of Agent Orange, 2,4-D, in pesticides, you know, and so this is going to be in our foods, and it does not have to be labeled the same day that this, this, you know, President Obama's, you know, speech about Ebola came out, and I cried. I actually went outside and cried because nobody knew about it. It wasn't on the news.
0: They and and you know, listen. If uh, if there is a hot issue like that, it, it it's very often uh, subjugated by a distraction and in the distraction in this instance may well be the president of the united states talking about ebola but if it's not it's going to be news stories about you know uh, the rich and the famous or, uh, or mm. you know uh, some some this that or the other we are we are the most easily distracted people on the planet if you think about it whenever Maybe we're the most easily in the in the universe. I mean, when, <laughs> when, whenever there is a story that comes out that it seems really an important story, it's not at all uncommon for it to then just disappear, and we never know what the outcome is. We, we don't, you know. We might hear that thousands of birds fell dead in uh, in the city of whatever. Um, and, you know, we don't have an explanation for it. Um, but they're inquiring. They're looking into it. But then we mm-hmm. never hear any more about it. We never hear, right. well, what happened? All these fish floated up dead. Well, why? What caused that? Well, it's a real, you know, researchers are looking at that now. There must have been something in the water or something. You know, don't worry about it. These are the kinds of, and, and we're distracted then by, you know, what, Kovorkian or some other story. All right? And, right. and reality TV, you know. Um, and and the bottom line is, there are things going on behind the scenes that we are just not aware of. That, in in one sense, you might say we're protected from. I don't like that 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 label in this context. But in, in another sense, we're just we're blindsided by. Uh, we have absolutely no, you know. <clears throat> one of the controversial things that's going on right now is geoengineering and uh, there's a good deal of evidence that suggests that you know uh we governments are using uh, chemicals to engineer weather now harp the high frequency facility in alaska uh, is not functioning right now because of funding. But for years, people were talking. Well, I think this is caused by HARP. They're you know pounding the ionosphere and and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, and I and I know some people that uh, have some firsthand knowledge there. And, and I've interviewed them, and and they say absolutely. You know, it was used to regulate weather. Well, there's no doubt, but what there isn't some geoengineering going on. The question is. In my view, the chemicals that are being sprayed into the atmosphere, they call them chemtrails. Now, when I was a boy, I'd see jets flying all the time. We didn't live far from an Air Force Base. And, uh, you know, the amount of fuel, and the idea is, of course, as the jets flying, you know, there's an oxidation, we see a liquid, and, and this is the vapor that trail that follows them. Well, these vapor trails disappeared very rapidly. Right. When I go to an airport and I watch commercial airlines flying, you know, I see them take off, I don't see vapor trail. I, I, I watch the Concorde take off from uh, UNLV. Uh, I don't see... Uh, Vapor Trail, UNLV, well, in Las Vegas, not not the University of Las Vegas, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the airport, McCarran, there we go, <laughs> all right? Uh, but when I look in the sky, very often now, I can see Vapor Trail from one horizon to the other horizon.
1: Yeah, now, people got used to them.
0: Is that vapor trail? Now, it's not vapor trail in my mind, and more than one witness has come forward and said, you know, they loaded the airplane, and that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're Well, supposedly, there's some high concentrates of things like aluminum. And, uh, you know, you you can see the tops of trees in areas where you see these vapor trails, and the tops of trees can be dead dead at the top, all brown and, and dead. Um, and, you know, we we have lots of stories for why these things go on, but there isn't anybody that has explained what this vapor trail from one end of the... except for this. There is a theory that is it's the belly laugh theory. It essentially says a good belly laugh is worth a thousand syllogisms. So one of the one of the things that you see often happen is someone is discredited or a, a yeah. statement is discredited by calling it a tinfoil hat argument. oh just it another tinfoil hat oh, come on, these conspiracy nuts right and, you know, and the interesting thing is <clears throat> some of the real conspiracy hoaxes have been created by our own government they have to make been created. It, else look bad. That they have created them so they can have uh, a pot of nonsense all in this, this under this label, this aura of conspiracy, so that then by association, it all becomes laughable. Well, there's a point right. that the conspiracy <clears throat> theory is in conspiracy. Take the Snowden event. You know, before Snowden, there were all kinds of stories out there about the government spying on you. They're tracking you, the GPS in your phones. They're recording your phone calls. They're storing all this data in, you know, facilities here and there, the new facility in Utah. It's all about the NSA holding da-da-da-da-da, okay? But that was conspiracy, and then along comes Snowden. Now, the NSA has testified before Congress that, oh, you know, the the Bureau and the NSA, we don't do that. And then they're back before Congress. Well, you know, we weren't really aware of all, you know, the fact <laughs> of the matter is, of course they were. But right. it was being denied at the time. So not every conspiracy theory is tinfoil hat, except that those folks want you to think that it is. Because otherwise, you might uncover the truth. Well, what happens if you uncover the truth, Karen? What happens if you. (laughs) That's about right. But I mean, each of us is an individual. You know, one of the things that I love to talk about is the trillions of dollars that have been spent on plumbing our unconscious so that, for all intent and purposes, we behave the way someone wants us to behave. In fact, You know, I I define a gotcha as, you know, you doing what you think is best because they have taught you that way to think. Mm -hmm. You you understand that? In other words, as I've pointed out elsewhere and in some detail in, in my book, Gotcha, you've been educated to conform. You've been trained so thoroughly in how to think that you've given up any alternative, and the result of that is you're no longer anything more or much more than an automaton. You know this. Functional magnetic resonance imaging shows us that more than 90% of your decisions are made in the unconscious. Indeed, an MRI technician watching your brain make a decision live time will know what you're going to choose six to ten seconds before you know. Six to ten seconds before you become aware that I am going to choose A or B, that technician's already accurately recorded your choice. Now, that ought to cause great reason for pause in any thinking person because that means this, this reservoir of knowledge, information that's stored in the unconscious, it's doing our thinking. It's making our choices. So it's no wonder that we're habitual people, that we do everything out of automatic, that we can drive down the freeway deep in thought, never pay any attention to where we are or what's going on in traffic until our our exit comes up. Oh, and then, you know, we exit safely. I mean, we're just on automatic. We're constantly saying, well, my parents did that, and, and I and I told myself then I would never do that, but I'm doing it again with my own children. We're on automatic. What's happened is those people that would like to sell you something, whether it's a product or a plank in a political platform, understand how to motivate you. They understand how to persuade you. So, you know, Karen, if I sat you at a a desk in my office, and on that desk I had a picture of children, or I had a hand sanitizer, and I asked you to fill out a survey, and on one end of the survey was a liberal bias, and on the other end was a conservative bias, I would skew you towards the conservative because of that hand sanitizer,
1: Mm, Why? Well,
0: that hand sanitizer says what? Danger, germs, disease, be careful. That's that's a, a subliminal prime. It's a subconscious motivation. Now, the interesting thing about our psychology is we operate through compliance principles. And among those compliance principles is our need for consistency. So then if I question you about Well, you know, when you took this survey before, you scored more liberal than you did here. What do you think the change is? You will find a reason to justify it. You will begin to rationalize it. Just like our young man who took the lumber, you're Mm -hmm. going to find a reason for why you did what you did, even though you're not conscious of why you did that. And once you've done that, once you've justified it, you're going to dig your heels in and you're going to hang on to that justification. Yes. And so I can I can move you again with another little nudge, but, and 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 you will justify it yet again. And little by little, you will change your mind. You could go. Well, let's just take gay rights. And first of all, I'll get this on the table. I am pro-gay marriage, if for no other reason than our our country has no right um, legally to prevent any two people from being married under whatever circumstances. That's a construct of religion, not a construct of law. But with that said, we can look at gay marriage and see ten years ago that in California, it was defeated by public vote. But 10 years later, the majority of people are in favor of it. Nudge a little, nudge a little more, nudge still a little more, and little by little, our value systems change, our belief system changes. Now, sometimes that's good. We need nudges. We certainly need, uh, you know, more equality for for everyone, gender, race, uh, sexual preference, etc. Sometimes that's very good and it's very healthy for our society, but but not always. Some of these nudges aren't about important issues of that nature. They're about how to make better puppets out of us. How to preserve a herd mentality, how to uh you know, encourage each and every one of us to be better consumers and, and and less involved in in the ruling of the elite. I mean after all this is propaganda and Edward Bernays who wrote the book, who fathered uh neuromarketing, uh Uh, for all intent and purposes uh, what then was called scientific marketing but has evolved to neuromarketing said in his book Propaganda we have to educate the masses to march in lockstep because they're just simply not smart enough (laughs) to rule themselves now you know that's that's the position of the elite And, and you know I, I am afraid that I take great exception to that. I uh, I know we've become so educated, Karen, uh, to accept the authority that when, again, you use fMRI and you watch an individual in the presence of an authority, you discover that areas of the brain that discriminate, to use the words of PET and MRI, they just turn off. They mm. just shut down.
1: Fascinating. Okay? Fascinating. Fascinating. So
0: if I'm not discriminating, well, then I'm just accepting the word of, you know, that authority. Well, let's think about authorities for a minute. You know, in 1949, the Nobel Prize was given to neurologist Walter Freeman. The great authority for what? Frontal lobotomies. He trained (laughs) hundreds of surgeons to do frontal lobotomies. And oh my wow, God. it was it was the panacea. But then, when we discovered what indeed was being done to the brain, well, you know, he died discredit. But all the other surgeons that had followed him, well, it wasn't their fault after all. The authority Walter Freeman, you see, the Nobel Prize winner, you know, that, that should embarrass us when we think about how much we invest. In
1: in authority. turning
0: over our power to the so-called authority.
1: Oh yeah, well, and and then I think an important point to make here, and we have uh, you know several minutes left, so I want to make sure people can get to your website. But the important thing too is is it's one thing you know to get educated, and if people want to be awake, to have the information there, which is amazing. This you know the book that you have. Is such a compilation. It, I mean, it would take me years to even come up with, you know, and figure out all this stuff myself, and you have it very well laid out. Uh, the Left Brain, those of us that love, you know, The Left Brain Critical Thinking will love your book because it has all this data. It's not just conjecture. And then to get to what I talked about earlier in my review was, like, to get to the other side. So, yeah, initially you can be shocked and, you know, be in indignation and go, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? But then we can go, okay. Now that I'm a little bit more awake, how am I going to live differently? How am I going to make choices? Do I want to put my head back in the sand? Which is a choice. That's okay, you know. Uh, But if you choose not to, then at least you have some backup, you have some support, and you are able to, you know, maybe get together with a a tribe or group or support who feel and think similarly that we uh, should be in charge of our own faculties and uh, be empowered to our own wellness and health and and happiness instead of just going you know going through whatever anybody else wants us to do. So I think that this, uh, there's a a real positive um, outcome to all this, and people don't have to be stuck in fear like oh my god I'm being manipulated ah now what? <laughs> so maybe Eldon, you can tell us more about how people can get a copy of your book, uh, where they can connect with you, your radio show, things like that.
0: Sure, I'd love to. And Karen, you're absolutely right. Knowledge is power, and no one should feel helpless or hopeless because you you have acquired the knowledge. You know, becoming um, just a little more mindful about what you do, why you do it, where these motives and thoughts come from that can make a world of difference in your life. And then I know you speak about this all the time. You can uh, learn more about me by going to my website. That's EldonTaylor, E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R, EldonTaylor.com. Uh, of course, you can get the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Uh, right now, we've got a uh, a special launch that you're helping us with. Thank you very much, Karen. And if you go to um, my website, click on the banner there, you'll see there are a lot of free gifts you can get for getting the book. You'll still be getting the book from Amazon or somewhere else, but you get the free gifts at my website. And I certainly appreciate the opportunity, Karen, to share this uh uh, story with you and your audience. It took me a good long time, as you can suspect, to put mm-hmm. all of this material together. Uh, but then again, I, I do believe that you cannot be spiritually awake in a world where everything that you're doing is based on you know, the thoughts of someone else.
1: Exactly, and that's a great place to finish and end. And I uh, totally respect and honor you for all the hard work you've been doing and your passion to to do this. And uh, I'm I'm just like just so tickled pink that you're on my show again, <laughs> and 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 we're special friends. So thank you, Eldon. You're awesome.
0: No, you're the awesome one, and I love everything you do. Just keep doing it, will you? We need right. more people it's a deal. like you, Karen.
1: You do what you do and I do what I do and uh and uh we'll just keep helping as many people as we can. So thanks again, Eldon, and thanks everyone for listening into this show. Bye for now.